Man, it's always good to be back in the great state of Minnesota. And uh, God called me here about four years ago, and I'm telling you, he called me here. Because if he didn't, I wouldn't be here. But uh, I'm super, super excited about this word that he's put on my heart for you to share, for me to share today. And, man, it's just, it's an honor to see what God is doing to your church and your leaders. And uh, when I look out into this crowd, I see so many beautiful faces. And I just always am thankful to be able to come to a great church. And listen, friends, I know this for a fact. If there's a great church, you've got really good leaders. And so I've gotten a chance to know Pastor Greg and his wife, Amber. And man, they are great leaders. And so I just want to commend you all for your leadership leading through COVID. And now you're still here and the church is growing. And so come on, you can give it up for your leaders and your staff. It's a big deal. I don't know about you, but I've heard that pastors quit every day. And so, uh, and that's a literal thing. And so I tell people in ministry and friends that are coming up as interns in ministry and apprentices, I tell people, like, I quit several hours a day, um, just literally. Uh, But God always remembers to remind me of the call that he's given me. So, friends, I'm super excited to share this word. And I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18 or 28. Matthew chapter 28, it's a famous passage. It's a familiar passage for some of you who may be followers of Jesus. If you are here seeking and searching, I'm so glad that you've come today because this passage, I believe, will open up your understanding to who Christ is and his purposes in the world and what his purposes are for us as people that he's created. And so Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. And before I jump in, I want to commend you. I heard Pastor Greg mention about kingdom builders, how to be a kingdom builder, above tithe, giving above tithe. And you all so generously sowed into the ministry that I lead, AMI, Awakening Ministries International, right back in 2021 when we were launching something called our Philip Project. And I remember Pastor Greg calling me. He said, oh, my gosh, we just sowed about $6,000 into this project. And, friends, this was a national project in the nation of Sierra Leone where it was about 78 79% Muslim at the time. And you guys sowed into that project so generously that we started training some of our national men and women of the faith to go out and share the gospel amongst particular unreached people groups. And I want to let you know what just happened briefly as a result of that before we get into the word. Uh, Over 240,000 people heard the gospel within 18 months. 50,000 responded to the gospel and several hundred new communities of faith which are being formed as churches have been launched in Sierra Leone because of that $6,000 you gave. And so can you just give Jesus a hand clap for how he used you to reach people? And, man, it's so awesome because we're getting ready to launch in Guinea, West Africa, here this month. And after services, you'll have an opportunity to sow into that. But we're super excited about what God's doing around the world. And uh, if I sleep a little bit, it's because I just got off the plane from Amman, Jordan last night. And so if you hear me snoring, just throw something at me. I'll, I'll know that that just means keep preaching, preacher. Uh, but no, I'm all good. Let's jump into the word. Matthew 28. We're going to start from verse 16. It says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. It's funny that Jesus was always on mountains for some reason. Moses was on the mountain. Abraham was in the mountain. Now Jesus is in the mountain. And he says to them, when they saw him, this is what Matthew says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, all, can you say all? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, or as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. I promise that I'm going to pray a real structured and long Catholic prayer. I love it because it means so much to Jesus. So let's go ahead and pray this prayer together. Can we do that? Father, I thank you. Bless this time and our word in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, I don't pray long, especially when it's time to eat. So I love it. And we're about to eat the word today. And so guess what, friends? Matthew 28 16 through 20, it's a great passage of scripture, and I really, really want us to grasp this today. I want to let you know there's authority in the go. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples. There is authority in the go, and I want to talk about authority just a little bit today because this is a very, very, very hard topic to actually talk about. Um, for me personally, in my own life, in my own journey, uh, there was, there's been times and seasons where people have told me what to do and particularly how to do it and where to go do it. And I don't know about you, but I just don't like when people tell me what to do. I don't like it. I naturally buck up against it. I naturally rebel up against it. And I just don't like it. That is the bottom line. How many of you like me? You just really don't like what people tell you what to do. I know some of you are lying today, but that's okay. We just don't like it really when people tell us what to do. It's just something in our human inclination that just naturally pushes up against when someone instructs us, particularly someone in authority instructs us to do something. But I, I want to grasp this thought for you this morning because it's so important as to how we respond to the Great Commission. As a matter of fact, I want to just leave you with this big idea this morning. It's this. It's how I view authority can hinder my willingness to submit to Jesus' authority in my life. I want to say that again for you. How I view authority... How I view my perspective on authority can hinder my willingness to submit to Jesus' authority in my life. The reality of it is this, friends. If we look at this definition of authority, okay, let's look at this definition. I love Webster's. He's great. It says this, the power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. So in essence, what, what, what my friend Miriam Webster was saying is this. They were saying when you have authority in your life, you are giving someone permission to have power and influence or command thought and give their opinion or behavior toward your life and actions. And this, this word authority is so powerful because we really don't understand authority without fully understanding what submission means. It's really, really true, friends, when we understand authority we understand submission, but sometimes we don't understand authority because we really struggle with submission. So I would submit to you today, if you have an issue with authority, it's not that you have an issue with just authority. The reality of it is, is we have an issue with submitting. And what submitting is, it's literally, if you think of the word submit, it means to come under. 
submarine goes under the water. So when I submit to someone, I'm coming under their leadership. I'm coming under their power. I'm coming under their influence. I'm coming under who they are as an authoritative figure in my life. But the truth of the matter is this. Many of us, we struggle in our modern day culture because of what the culture is producing. Uh, Let me just give you an example. We often struggle with submission and authority because institutions have failed us. We often struggle with submission and or authority because leaders who run these institutions are flawed. I would say it another way, broke, busted, and disgusted, and they have also failed us. We struggle because in these institutions and within these institutions are leaders like governmental leaders and educational leaders and financial leaders and even church leaders. They have failed us. And so there's this natural inclination that we have when people fail us, when we see their flaws, to actually resist them. And it leads us to these matters of this. It perpetuates suspicion. It perpetuates individualism. It perpetuates a lack of submission. It perpetuates resistance toward submitting and coming under authority. I was on the plane recently, and I was talking to a young lady who was a working professional. And it was amazing, the conversation that we had, because she really was interested in Jesus, But when we got to the point of Jesus's authority and how he demands authority from those who would decide to follow him, because he is king, he is Lord, he is master, he is ruler. If there's a king, he has a kingdom. If there's a kingdom, there are servants. And so she was struggling with this whole idea of of Jesus being Lord in her life. She was struggling with this whole concept of the authority of Jesus governing every area in her life. And as I listened to her talk and asked her more questions, it was very clear to me that she didn't just struggle with the authority of Jesus. It actually was because she struggled with the authority and how it has failed in our society. And she was struggling with people in office. She was struggling with pastors and churches that are having moral affairs and ministry leaders that are having moral and ethical affairs. She was struggling with people that had supposedly been in authority who had been failing. And so this was hindering her view of how she actually would come into the kingdom of God. And friends, today I want to submit to you that thought because when we struggle to submit to authority, when we don't trust those who are in it, we often don't see the freedom within it. We don't see the freedom within authority. And I want to just kind of paint this picture. The reality of it is this. We often see things one way. And these struggles that I'm talking about are real. Institutions are failing us. People are failing us. They're real. But then there's another side that I really want you to look at. The reality of all of this failure that we're seeing and all of the moral and decay and ethical decay in the world is, is the truth of only what Jesus said. None of it is meant to be eternal. It's all temporal. The only thing that's eternal is man. Everything else will pass away. And see, Jesus helped us to understand this in his word, friends. And so when we put our trust in institution, when we put our trust in man, we have to understand that man is flawed. We are. I can stand up here on this stage. I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love my family. But I'm I'm prone to sin just like anyone else. 
And friends, the reality of it is this. When we struggle to submit to authority, there's often a side that we've lost trust in those who are in authority or something that has supposed to have authority, and we don't see the freedom within it anymore. And so I want you to understand something today. When we submit to authority, one, we have to understand there's benefits of it. One, it's ordained by God. Romans 13 through 1 and 2 tells us this. God literally establishes authority in the earth, and he says anyone who doesn't submit to it actually brings judgment on themselves. This is God's word. The other thing is this. When we learn to submit to authority, we are free from the burden and responsibility that God never gave us to carry. That there's freedom in submitting to authority. When we are under authority, there is a spiritual blessing and or covering over our lives. When, when, when we submit to authority, there is transformation that actually happens in our lives. Spiritual transformation that we become more like Jesus. We become more like who he is when we learn to submit to the authority that he's placed in our lives and around us. But if we tend to resist, or not submit to authority, it actually has an effect on how we see Jesus' command for us to go. Let me unpack it for you. Let's read here again in Matthew chapter 28. In verse 18, Jesus says this. He says, all authority has been given to me. When we look at this word authority, it actually means, again, right, the right or power. So what Jesus was saying here is that all authority had been granted to him in heaven and on earth, and there was nothing outside of his reach. He had overcome the very thing that no human could ever overcome, which was the power of death. Satan's sting had been removed because of sin that had entered into mankind. And now Jesus had overcome death, hell, and the grave and had paid the price for humanity's sins. So therefore, there was no more separation from God and man. And if we were to be separated, it's because we had not received Jesus' finished work on the cross yet. And so Jesus now has all authority in heaven and on earth. But I want to bring to mind to you that the disciples, they were also suspicious of their day. Remember in this time, if you can, or research some history, the Roman government was happening. There was a lot of moral decay and evil and corruption happening in that time. And this is why the disciples were actually mistaking Jesus for becoming a political messiah. This is why they, they, because the world was jacked up and they wanted somebody else to come and restore the reign and the rule in the world. And Jesus was helping them to understand that's not really what I'm doing. I'm coming to establish a spiritual kingdom that will one day become a physical kingdom. And he was helping them to understand that this authority he was talking about was going to help bring that to pass. And so Jesus gives them this understanding of authority and they were in this context, friends, that, again, was so similar to many of us. They, too, were sinful. They were flawed. But Jesus, he knew, he wanted them to know that he was king. He wanted them to know that he really was the master that they talked about throughout some of the gospels. He wanted them to know that he really was the Lord. And he wanted them to know that he, his government, as Isaiah says, his government has no end and is only governed by righteousness. 
He wanted them to know that, yes, I am the one who really changed your life. He wanted them to know that this present reality that you see back then, first century, that they saw, he wanted them to know and understand that without me, there is nothing. He wanted them to understand that if the world doesn't choose to follow me, their eternity destiny is for doom. He wanted them to see that if he really was who he said he was, that he could build the kingdom of God through their life. He had devoted them and charged them to, to advance his kingdom. They had a certain loyalty to Jesus. And I love the stories of the disciples. You see, because this loyalty that they had, the reason why they had it is because they trusted him. They understood his desires and wanted to actually submit to him. They understood when the king has authority to command his servants to go, that their response is go. They really wanted the same thing as Jesus, to build the kingdom of God. You see, friends, a servant always seeks or aims to please his master. Whenever there is a command from the master, a servant is, is joyful to go and commit that command, even though that the command may not be easy, it may be difficult, the task may be troublesome, but because they want to please their master, they go in response of the command. And you see, Jesus, he knew that the growth of his kingdom would be based on their full allegiance and submission to him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, that's a very difficult thing. Because here I have 12 men, and there's an extended group of women and people that are outside of these 12 men. But this was a big deal. And so this is why in this great commission, this chapter, and particularly these verses, Jesus hinges the great commission, which we're going to read in the next verse, on all authority. He has to first establish, friends, this authority that he has in heaven and on earth for their lives and the ministry that they would be partaking in before he issues the command. He has to let them know that this authority that I'm talking about is so important for you to grasp. As a matter of fact, Matthew records it so beautifully. It says Jesus came to them. Whenever you're in authority, you don't go to someone else. You actually instruct them to come to you. And so he was helping them to see that I, I'm doing something in the world and I'm going to do it through you. And so therefore, because all of this authority is mine, therefore, that there is a reason, that there is therefore a reason. He says, therefore, as you go. And this is where I want to unpack it at because this commission, friends, is so important, not only for your life, but more importantly for the advancement of the kingdom. And you have to think that Jesus himself would entrust it to men and women like me and you. We're flawed. We're, 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 we're failures. I'm telling you, we are broken, busted, and disgusted. I love to say it. We're a mess. We are stiff-necked and rebellious just like the children of Israel. But he knew that he wasn't going after us because of who we are. He went after us because of who we would become, only in him. And so I need us to catch this today because the commission of Jesus is so important, Zoe Church, not just for your life but for the advancement of the kingdom, which involves other people's lives. And so Jesus helps the disciples to see this. And so he says in verse 19, go and make disciples. If you were to really look at this in the original, it says, as you are going. 
So there's an implication here that Jesus was talking to his disciples and they already knew their mission. They knew that this mission was to be about going and inviting other people into the kingdom of God and teaching them how to invite other people into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, go, and as you are going, begin to do some things. And, and I love this because it was a part of their normal life. You see, evangelism and discipleship was never meant to be separate. It's not. It's a circular aspect if you look at it in the Bible. I evangelize as I'm going. Where? Where am I going? I'm going to work. I'm going to school. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to the bakery. I'm going to the bank. I'm going to get my nails done. I'm going to get my hair done. I'm going to get my feet done. I'm going. As I'm going, I exist to make disciples. And a part of that, I'm going to share my story about how God has changed me. I'm going to share about how he wants to change you. And so he was expecting this of them as a part of their normal life. Jesus uses people as the primary means to build his kingdom. Let me just talk for a moment, and I want you to hear me because I can get in trouble for this. Pastor Greg, I don't want to whoop him because I'm in submission. But but, uh, he's scared now. Pray for me, y'all. No, I'm just he's scared. In the church of the West today, we do a great job building programs. Programs are great because they are an instrument to help assist people. The sports event, that's awesome. It's going to help reach people outside of the church perhaps. But guess what? That will only happen through the people. The program is just another means to motivate the people because sometimes the people aren't going to do what the people need to do. Friends, don't substitute a program for your life. Don't substitute a program for you going. Friends, that's never how the Great Commission was meant to be advanced. God wants to use you and your story. Guess what? You may be fearful of the gospel. You may be afraid of sharing with people. That's okay. Holy Spirit, he'll give you boldness. We can equip you here at Zoe. The reality of it is if you know enough of the gospel to have received it, you know enough of it to share it. That's just the natural reality. And again, hear me, programs aren't bad in themselves, but in the programs, there's this battle with consumerism. Can I talk about this? Consumerism exists because of this. We have attractional models that we say, oh, they have a great kids' ministry. Oh, I like the way the pastor teaches. Oh, that church has, is, is designed with elegance. Oh, when I walk into the foyer, I feel this. Oh, all these things, it's the same thing I do when I go to shop at Target or Walmart. I choose where I go because of what they can give me. I choose where I go because the service they're going to bring to me. But the church was not designed that way. The reality of it is, where has God called us? Friends, if God has called you here, it doesn't matter how it looks, make it look better. It doesn't matter how it smells, make it smell better. It doesn't matter if they don't have a kid's ministry, build a good one. This is the reality of what Jesus wants to do through his church. And I just want to encourage you today that Jesus was focused on going, not coming. That was his deal. He wanted us to go, not not so much as focus on people coming. And so I, I just want you to, to walk away with that. But, but this is the fun part. He, he says go, and, and this is what he tells him to do. He, he says go to everyone. He says go to all nations. Listen to what verse 19a says still. He says, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, okay? All nations, all ethne. This is the word where we get ethnicity from. So if you're of a different ethnicity, all of us are in some sense. Some of us may be of the same ethnicity. But he says, go and make disciples of all ethne. An example of this, as some gospel historians would say, is what, he, what Matthew was meaning when he wrote it was of all peoples. <laughs> of all peoples. Ah, can I just unpack this for a moment? Jews at the time, they, were, they had a problem with ethnocentrism. What do I mean by that? Ethno, ethne, they were centered around their own ethne. Uh, uh, they hung out with people that looked like them, talked like them, voted like them, dressed like them, smelt like them. Kids went to school, they went to school. That's who they hung out with. And they were very insular. But, but, but Jesus tells them right before he ascends in Matthew in Acts 1.8, go to where? Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What he was doing is he was progressively advancing the mission of God throughout beyond the Jews. So when I go to a church, if it's all black, I got a problem. When I go to a church that's all white, I got a problem. Why? Because if the community looks differently and the church doesn't look like the community, then it's possible that we are struggling with our own ethnocentrism. This is a little challenging for me. Because I know God didn't want, he doesn't want that for us. And friends, I want, I want to just share with you, I know it's challenging. I do. I know it's difficult to get outside of our box because we're comfortable in our box. We're safe in our box. But Jesus wasn't about being safe or comfortable. Why? Why? Because he left a place that was very comfortable to come to a place that was really uncomfortable. And so, friends, I want us to see that when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all peoples, he wanted us to see that I want you to meet and talk with and have coffee with and invite to my home. Yep, I said it. I know in Minnesota it's a little challenging, but I need you to invite them to my home and get to know their family and get to know their kids. And I want you to go to their home and I want you to go to their circles and influence and I want you to be around people because Jesus was the incarnate God. Do you know what that means? He was in proximity with people. He was in proximity of people that were not like him in order to help reach them for his glory. And so, friends, when he tells us to go make all disciples of all nations, everybody, this is what he meant, everybody, not some. This is what he meant. He says, go make disciples of everyone, not just some. He really had to instill this in Matthew, James, and John and those of the Jewish descent because they were so focused. There were prejudices. There were, there were biases that they had against the Samaritans and other people. And guess what? Can I just say this for real? If they had them, so do we. And we just got to work through them because the Holy Spirit, he'll do that because he wants to reach other people through us. So he says, don't just focus on going or not coming, but he says, I want you to go. He says, don't just focus on some, but I need you to focus on everyone that you can. I want to just bring this to your attention in our own cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but literally one over one million people have migrated to our cities that are from foreign countries. And they've come, and most of the countries they have come from are unreached countries. Literally over 1 million people are staying in our cities. And I got this news for you. 50% of them are actually in suburbs like Burnsville. 
50% of that 1 million population lives in suburbs throughout the Minneapolis, St. Paul, greater metro area in suburbs just like Burnsville. But this is the alarming stat. Of those 1 million, just about less than half of them, at 1%, just about less than 1% of them, don't have any witness of the gospel. Literally, I want to say that. Just about less than 1% of them only have heard about Jesus. Okay, that's an alarming statistic. What that means is about 900% of 900,000 of them don't know Jesus. So there's a very small percentage of them who have heard about Jesus or have accepted Jesus. So about 900,000 people in our metro area that are from countries all around the world have no Christian witness about Jesus. Why do you think Jesus would say to us in the 21st century, go and make disciples of everyone. Jesus knew Minneapolis would become the way it would. He knew St. Paul is becoming the way it would. There's no surprise to God, friends. There is no surprise. But he has a focus for us as his church to go and make disciples of everyone, not just some. But, but I love what Jesus does here. He, he tells the disciples, he says, I want you to be focused on going, not coming. I want you to reach everybody that you can, not just some. But this is what he tells them. I want you to make disciples. I want to camp out here just for the rest of our time. He says, I want you to make disciples. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. It, it is very simple. Because to make a disciple simply means to make a learner of the one that we intend to be like. So as a follower of Jesus, I'm his disciple. That means I read his word, I study his ways, I study him to the extent that I can. I spend time with him in prayer, I spend time with his word, I spend time in community with other people that are wanting to be like him, and we're pursuing after Jesus to be more like him. But a part of making disciples involves going. A part of making disciples involves sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the word evangelism. That, that word simply means good news. So a part of their going, a part of them reaching everyone was to make disciples. And the only way that you can do that is that you share Jesus with people. I want to dispel the notion that I, can only, I only have to show Jesus and people will come to Jesus. No. That's a cop-out for not sharing Jesus, friends. People can't get saved because of how you live your life. Some of you, people would run from Jesus if they seen how we lived our lives. This is the reality. Our lives are ugly and messy. But this is the good thing about involving people into it when we make disciples because they understand that we aren't perfect, but we serve a perfect God. They understand we aren't pursuing perfect, but we pursue the one who is perfect. And so Jesus helps them to know, I want you to make disciples. If I could say it in a 21st century way, I want you to make disciples, not church attenders. Let me help you. Keep coming to church. <laughs> you need to be in community. Come every Sunday if you can. Get here. But the goal for Jesus wasn't for you to just attend Zoe. The goal for Jesus was for you to be a follower of Jesus and a part of the community of your life is Zoe. 
And so he wants us not to focus on making church attenders, but to focus on making disciples. And he lets us know how we do that. He really gives us the formula. Very simple. He says, as you go, that means sharing our faith. That's evangelism. He says, I want you to baptize people. This is what I love. I love when we, as the body of Christ, have baptism services. That's one of my funnest Sundays ever. But what would it look like if you actually start having baptism services at your house? What would it look like? When I was in Saudi Arabia, uh, we, we, I went into this church that I didn't know was a church. It was a house. And there was this almost party-like environment set up. And I was like, what is that? And the pastor, he just kind of, <laughs> he laughed at me and he kept going. He said, I will tell you later. And I said, okay, great. And so I go around this room and the next thing I know, I see this church behind the walls and I'm amazed. It's about 85 people praying, crying out to God, reading the word of God, studying. And that was just the presence of Jesus. And they said, we have some new disciples. We're going to baptize them. I said, where are you going to baptize them? He said, let's go. And in the bathroom, a baptizing one person hit his head. Boom. <laughs> he got up. I'm saved. I love Jesus. But what if it looked, what would it look like? I'll tell you what it would look like. I think two things would happen, honestly. I think we probably have less people that are getting baptized at the church service because it's happening in community. But I also think there would be something supernatural that may bring more people to being baptized at the church service because you're also reaching them. And so the reality of it is Jesus told them to make disciples, not attenders. And he said, you can do this by sharing your faith, baptizing them, and teaching them. Ah. This is the part where it gets really challenging. Because Paul said this in one of his gospels. He said, in one of his epistles, he said this. He said, to this extent, I present every man mature before Christ. He says, I labor and I strive. Friends, let me tell you that when you share Jesus, when someone is graced enough to know who Jesus is and they respond to the work of the Lord in their heart and come to know him and now you've been tasked with the opportunity to disciple them, to help them become followers of Jesus, it will be laborious. It will take labor. It will take striving. I have these gray hairs. You didn't see these two years ago. These aren't just from kids, Pastor Amber. These are from people. The greatest thing about ministry, Pastor Greg, is it's people involved. The worst thing about ministry, Pastor Greg, would amen me, is people involved. Listen, that's just the reality of it. It is going to be, it is going to take time. It is going to take effort. It is going to take energy. But the reality of it is this, friends, if we're not submitted to his authority, we're not willing to give that time. We're not willing to give that energy. And this is the challenge, friends. Sometimes we want Christ's authority because we want to operate in power. We want to operate in the spirit. But we're unwilling to fully submit to him in order to fully receive the authority. And this is what he was trying to help his disciples to see. He says, I have this authority. And as you go and make disciples of everyone, I'm going to transfer that authority to your life as you go. But guess what? I seen it one day. If I'm not going, I don't have access to that authority. I don't. I don't. If I'm not going and living my life on mission, I don't have access to that authority. Friends, I want to let you know this. If I would have my sister to come join me on keys, that'd be awesome. I, I want to give you this 
thought as we close out our time for this service. Jesus' commission, the Great Commission, it gives us as his disciples a sense of purpose. It gives us as his disciples a sense of pursuit. It gives us a sense of disciples, a sense of Jesus' presence. And so, how many of you loved that kid moment? That was awesome. I just want to celebrate that. I'm serious. I'm serious. I grew up in a church where kids was everywhere. And the pastor be preaching and he'd run over here and get the kid. And he, amen, sit him down and he'd go. I just love that. that. That wasn't a distraction for me. I'm just letting it know. Amen for kids in church. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. It's good. I'm good. I want to affirm. I want to affirm that. That wasn't a distraction. But I want you, I want you to understand this about Jesus' commission. I do. His commission that he gave to his disciples that's extended to us, friends, it gives us a sense of purpose. If you're in business and you're a follower of Jesus, you're in business for Jesus. If you're a teacher, you're a teacher for Jesus. If you're a banker, you're a banker for Jesus. If you work at Target or you work at Costco, you're at Costco and you're a retail manager or whatever it is for Jesus. If you're a student and you got into that school or that university or that private school, you're there because Jesus allowed you to get there. Listen, if you don't have a job, you're unemployed and you're still with Jesus. It doesn't matter. Jesus' mission for us gives us a sense of purpose, and it also gives us a pursuit. What are, are we pursuing? I'm not pursuing for just my career to be advanced. I'm not pursuing to make more money. I'm not pursuing to get a lake house. I'm not pursuing to get a vacation home. I'm not pursuing for my 401B. I'm not pursuing, I'm not pursuing for all of that. All of that is secondary to me pursuing Jesus. And if Jesus wants to bless those things so that I can do more for him, that's awesome. He'll do it. But it gives us a sense of pursuit. This is what I love what Jesus says toward the end. He lets us know that it also gives us a sense of his presence. He said this. He said, I'll be with you, verse 20, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And so I, I just want to share this with you. If you have lost a sense of Jesus' purpose and his pursuit for your life, it's more than likely that you don't sense his presence as much anymore. If that's the case for you, it's because you've more than likely lost sight of the mission. Because this is what Jesus was really all about. He told him, this is the mission. It's the co-mission. I'm doing it with you, not alone. That's why it's called the co-mission, because he sent the Holy Spirit that birthed the church, and now the Holy Spirit lives in us, and he's empowering us, and he's strengthening us, and he's the spirit of truth, and he's our God. And as we go on mission to make disciples of all nations, of everyone, of all people, Jesus promises us that I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to show you what to pursue, and my presence will be with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. And friends, when I read this B-I-B-L-E, I want to believe it with all of my heart because if I've given my life to Jesus, then he is my God. If I've given my life to Jesus, then he is my purpose. If I've given my life to Jesus, he is my presence. He is my pursuit and I'm going to live for him. So his authority to command me to go, I say, yes, Lord, I'll go. I, as I shared with you, I just recently got back yesterday it's a story that I'll close with. You see, I believe when Jesus said this great commission, it wasn't just for far, it's also for near. Sometimes I think we battle between why would we go there 
when people are lost here? And why are we, why aren't we going there? Or why aren't we staying here when people are lost there? We have this battle, it's divide, but Jesus never meant for it to be that way. All nations, all people, all, everywhere. And I had the privilege of, of being just in Jordan and we were walking, it was just Saturday morning there, or Friday. And we were walking into this place that had rich history. We were in the biblical Zoar, where Lot fled after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by God in Genesis 19. And Lot's cave had been discovered by a Byzantine church of the 6th century. And so we were there and we were praying for this city that was unreached with no church, no known believer. And we went into this kind of, it was fun. It was like a theme park that was homemade. There was no admission to it, but it was all these families of our Muslim friends that were there and they were playing, the kids were playing. They were just happy. And we were walking and this place has some history because in the earlier time when it was established, Slaves were actually sent there from Africa who began to work there and eventually gained land and built families and they intermingled with the Jordanians. And so the people don't look at Jordan. They don't look Jordan. They don't look Jordanian. They, they actually look more of an African descent. And so I was there on an assignment with some African-American interns from an organization with our friend who was the leader on the ground. And these people began to see some of us, and they lit up. The guy began to touch my face, touch my hands. He says, where is he from? In this Arab language, he said, where is he from? And my buddy told him in the language, he said, he's from America. He is, he is black. He's like you. And the guy reached out. He hugged me. He shook my hand. And we began to go into this area, and he, he took us to his friends. The culture is so hospitable. We sat down on this, this mat. I, I should have got the picture for you, but it's, it'd be hard to see. But we sat down on this big blanket, and we broke bread, and we fellowshiped, and we ate chips, and we ate hot watermelon and all that fun stuff. It was great. It was awesome. And we were trying to share Jesus with these young men, and it amazed me that as we were sharing, we asked them, who is Jesus? Do you know who he is? And he looked at us very puzzled. He said, who is he? Never heard of him. My heart just crumbled. He said, I've never heard of him. Friends, I want to let you know that when Jesus gave his life, he didn't do it for us just to be comfortable. He did it for us to live on mission. This world is not our home. We're just citizens passing through. As I was driving here this morning, I just began to cry. And I said, God, send somebody to him. We did what we could, but send someone. And I just have their, their faces in my mind and printed. I want you to do me a favor in the next 30 seconds before I take my seat. I want you to let God seal someone or imprint someone in your mind that's far from God. And I want you to just write them. Take a note on your phone. Just take one to three people. I guarantee it's going to be anywhere from one to three people. Just think about it right now, right now, right now. Just begin to close your eyes right now and just begin to think about it. And invite 
God to let you see someone who needs to know him. Friend, I leave you with this thought. If you're fully submitted to the authority of Christ in your life, you will go and it'll be a part of your lifestyle. It won't be easy, but it'll be so much joy as Jesus reaches you to make disciples. And so just let them seal that person in your mind and make a commitment this summer, this year, that I'm going to go in the authority of Jesus and share my faith. Let God do the rest in order to make disciples of all people. Father, I thank you right now what you're doing. Continue to do your work as I preach your word. Lord, remind us that there is authority in our going. In Jesus' name, amen.